Hello, and here we go again with another weekly podcast, The Worm That Turned. Isn't that wonderful? We'll come to that in a minute. Well, we won't. I will. (laughs) My son is in London at the moment with his family. Uh, They're over from North Carolina, as I've said before. They're having a good look round in London. The computer is fine. It's all working okay. One or two little issues. I won't bore you with that. First of all, the weather. Do you really want to know what the weather's doing here? Hang on, where are I? What day is it? Thursday, 27th of July. You wouldn't think it's July 2023, and the time is quarter to eight in the morning. I was up early. Torrential rain all night, lashing rain, wind. It's awful. All the flowers we've got out there, well, not all of them, but a lot of them have lost their their flowers. They're all over the lawn, little petals everywhere. It's a shame. It did look so nice. Luckily... Trish and I, she helps me now because I'm an old boy, you know. (laughs) Trish helps me. We put a new roof on this small shed. We call it the side shed. It's about eight feet by three feet. It's a a long cupboard, really. And it's attached to the main shed. I, I built it years ago. And it's been leaking for years. It's been leaking. It's awful. So I ripped off all the old wood. We put a new sheet of wood on it. Trish went up on the shed. I can't. I can't go up on the roof because I'm too heavy. I'd fall through. Anyway, she went up there. I put the felt on and she ran some tar. It's called bitumen, isn't it? What do you call it in America? Bitumen, tar, you know, that black stuff they put on roads. We've had torrential rain and wind all night. And I've been out there this morning and the shed is perfectly dry inside. So that's another job done. So the weather report is 18 centigrade, which is 64 Fahrenheit. 94% humidity, which isn't surprising, it's lashing with rain. 1004 millibars and the wind, well the poor old flag, it's soaking wet and wrapped round the pole. But there is a dreadful wind from the west. The fig tree in the back garden, that, uh, that really is growing into a tree. Which isn't surprising, it is a tree, but I was hoping to keep it as a large bush. It's covered in figs. Did I tell you Trish made some fig jam? (laughs) Honestly, fig jam. And we both agreed. It was disgusting. It really, oh, it was disgusting. We've only got three, I think, little jars, very small jars. It was a bit of an experiment, but it it really is disgusting. We don't know what to do with it now. Perhaps we'll give it to someone as a present. There we are, look. Happy birthday. There's some homemade fig jam. (laughs) Now, I think it's best just to chuck it away, to be honest. Let's have a look at a couple of emails. Morning, Bob. Uh, Bob says, how about interviewing my son on one episode? Be interesting to hear what an Englishman living in the US thinks of our peculiar brand of crazy. Because Bob obviously is in America. I put that to my son. The trouble is he's really busy. He's now in London with his family. And I think he's going home to North Carolina on Monday. But he did say he might send me an MP3, an audio uh, track, with some chat on it about an Englishman living in the US. So we'll see what happens there. Thanks for that, Bob. Good idea, actually. Bruce is asking, do we have in the UK, do we have car shows? We do. We have a lot of vintage car shows. Cars from way back, well, 30s, uh, not so much the 20s, I don't think, but 30s, 40s in particular, And then the later ones, 50s, 60s, lots of car shows. And every now and then, an American car will turn up. 
at one of the shows, which is fantastic. I love the, the 50s and especially the 1960s American cars. Huge bench seat in the front, the automatic um, stick thing on the column. Why do they have in, uh, in automatic cars these days, why do they have the big clunk clunk lever on the floor you know, by, between the seats? I had a car once with a little stick on the on the steering column. It just said, uh, you know, P, D, park, drive, reverse, whatever. And it was fantastic. But other automatic cars I've had have got this huge clunk clunk stick in the middle. I don't know why they have to do that. So, yes, Bruce, we do have a lot of car shows here. Military vehicle shows as well. There was one I went to a little while ago, oh, no, a few years ago now, it must be, in Beltringham. Was it Beltring? Beltringham in Kent. And they've got tanks, actual military huge tanks, <laughs> all racing around this field and going, crushing cars, you know, driving over old cars and things. That was a fantastic show. You'd have to have some money to own a, a tank. For a start, you've got to have a, a low loader type lorry to take the tank there and take it home again. Well, when I say home, you've got to keep it somewhere. I don't know where. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't have a tank here parked on the driveway. <laughs> I don't know what the neighbours would say. But yes, Bruce, we do have loads of car shows here and steam rallies, of course, where people bring old steam engines and traction engines from decades ago. Stationary engines, such as my Lister D stationary engine, which used to be used on farms and things like that. We do have a lot of shows around here. Thinking about it is rather good, actually. It was only when you mentioned it, Bruce, that I thought, yeah, we have all sorts of shows at Amberley Museum. They often have car shows, steam engine shows with the traction engines and the old road rollers, steam-driven road rollers. They have that sort of thing there. Again, you need a low-loading type lorry to take it there. So not the sort of hobby to have if you haven't got any money. <laughs> Oh, by the way, thanks to everyone who suggested I watch the Retro Electro Workshop on uh, television. I have managed to catch one of them, one of the programmes, and I think Trish is, has recorded them or whatever she does. She deals with all that. I don't know about all this recording things and setting up stuff on the TV. I leave that to her. But yeah, very interesting programme. So thank you to everyone that suggested I have a look at that. You'll probably remember that I asked about titles for the podcast episodes because uh, the titles haven't been very good in the past. If you look back, it'll be something like going to the beach and stuff, picnics and stuff, school days and other stuff. <laughs> Hardly imaginative titles. So thank you. I haven't made a list. I started to make a list of all the suggestions. Uh, but I'm not going to, well, I have still got the list. I'm not going to read it out because it's too long. Now, there are two or three <laughs> suggestions that I can't use. I don't know, some of you are rather, well, two or three of you are rather naughty. There was one from Paul. Hello, Paul. Great idea, but uh, I think I'd get arrested. And there was Frank, frankly, Frank, I can't use that title because it's downright rude. And Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Nice to hear from you from Nottingham. You'll know who you are <laughs> when I say Nottingham. There's only one Sarah that's commented, and it's awful, Sarah. I cannot use that. Well, I say it's awful. I mean, it's fantastic, but I can't use that, can I? How can I? Now, anyway, let's move on. But thank you to everyone who have come up with suggestions. I'm not sure what to do, to be honest. Let's see what develops. 
I expect you're now ready for the worm that turned story. Now, this is a couple I knew. I've changed the names to protect the guilty. <laughs> so it's Dave and his wife, Alison. Dave was a, a successful businessman. Not a multi-million pound business, but uh, he was doing very, very well. I won't say what it was. I don't want to give away their identity. They lived in a large house. They both had their own cars. They were doing really well. And they were good friends of myself and uh, Trish, of course. And this other couple we used to go around with. Sometimes we'd all meet for a meal. The six of us, we'd go out somewhere. Or we'd go around to one of the houses and have a, a meal there. Now, here's the thing. Dave was a lovely chap, but he was not at all nice to his wife, Alison. He was basically downright rude. He would show her up in front of other people, you know, in company. He'd say things to her that were, were derogatory, rude, very rude, actually. He put her down. She was downtrodden. She really was. I used to feel... I don't know, I used to cringe sometimes, the things he said. And this other couple that we used to go around with, you know, we'd all meet, as I said, the six of us. Here's a good example. We were talking once, I'll never forget this, about uh, swimming the English Channel, from obviously from Britain to France. This was years ago, the article had been in the newspaper, and we were chatting about it, and Alison said that you shouldn't go swimming on a full stomach, which is true. And she said he must be hungry. He must get hungry halfway across the channel because he hasn't eaten. And if he's hungry, then he won't have the energy he needs to swim. So Dave looked at her and he said, you do talk rubbish. What do you know about swimming? Why do you comment on something you know nothing about? And she said, oh, I, I was just saying that he might be hungry and you obviously get energy from food. He was just rude. He said, you can't swim yourself, so you have no business commenting on people that can swim. Of course, we all found that embarrassing. I tried to make light of it. I said, well, I can't swim, Dave. I've never learned to swim. And yet I comment on people that swim across the channel. Why not? And that, that sort of shut him up a little bit. At one time, she was learning to drive and uh, we were out for a meal somewhere and she was telling us about how she's getting on and she happened to say that uh, there are some dreadful drivers on the road. Of course, we all agreed, definitely, some of them are, are complete idiots the way they carry on. She was talking about this and he, he cut her off and again, he was just rude. He said, look, you're a learner driver, you know nothing about it. How can you comment on other people on the road? when you're merely a learner yourself. And then he added, I don't know why you're bothering to learn because you're never going to pass your test anyway. You're useless. And again, we all cringed, you know, to say that to your wife who's learning to drive, you know, in front of your friends. I mean, it's just awful. That's two of many, many incidents that uh, I, I can remember, just the two at the moment. That, that gives you the idea of the sort of chap he was, well, to his wife anyway. But apart from that, he was a very nice person. He offered to pay for meals whenever we went out because he had his successful business. He normally paid, even though we insisted, oh, no, no, we'll pay, it's my turn. No, 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 I'll get this. He was a lovely chap. He would do anything for anyone. It's just that he was so rude to Alison. Just one other thing I remember as we're talking about going out for meals. They were all around our house at one stage and Trish said to Alison, uh, oh, I'll top up your wine glass. And Dave said, no, she doesn't want any more. Now, Trish doesn't uh, 
doesn't take that sort of thing lightly. She said, I wasn't asking you, Dave. I'm not asking Alison either. I'm just filling up her glass whether she wants it or not. And, of course, Alison said, oh, thanks, Tricia. That's great. And we all laughed. And Dave said, you've got to cut down on your drinking, Alison. Cut down? She hardly ever drank anything. All she had was the odd glass of wine. He was the one that used to knock back the whiskey. Anyway, let's get down to the worm that turned. Now, by this stage, you obviously realise that Alison is going to turn somehow. We were all out in a pub, actually, not out for a meal. We were sitting in a pub having a chat. It, whose birthday was it? I think it was Alice. No, it was Dave's birthday. This is years ago. I can't remember whose birthday it was. And Alison mentioned her hobby, which was painting. Of course, Dave, he butted in and said, you can't paint. What is it you do? Painting by numbers. Alison laughed and said, no, it's not exactly painting by numbers. As you know, Dave, I, I do paint properly on canvas. And he put her down, usual sort of comments. I don't know why you bother to paint. You're hopeless. You're useless. All this stuff. And she said, actually, I've just sold one just today. What idiot bought that? He, he was laughing. What sort of idiot bought that? What'd you get? Two quid? I bet you had to pay him, didn't you, to take it away? And she opened her handbag and got out this little booklet. And she said, here we are. Flick through the pages. That's what I sold it for. And she showed us £120. And Dave looked at it. What are we talking about? 120? What sort of fool bought that? I mean, oh, come on. What's this rubbish? What's this nonsense? He was lost for words, basically. And she said, oh, I've been selling one or two paintings at the local art shop in town. There was a kind of art place where they, they sold all the art gear, brushes, paints, and they also sold paintings. And the chap that owned the shop took a bit of commission. Dave obviously knew nothing about this. He knew that her hobby was painting, but he just always laughed at her and asked her why she wasted her time with you know painting such rubbish. And he couldn't believe this. He snatched the book. He literally snatched it out of her hand. And he's flicking through. What's this? Now, I can't remember the title, so I'm going to make up some titles. What, what's this? The Lady in the Field. £90? What, what's that? Oh, that's one I sold last week. You sold one last week? This went on, and he flicked the pages. Children at Play. What's this one? £150. She said, that was a nice one. That's just one of my favourite. That was Children in a Playground at Play. And Ian in the shop, he liked that. Because that set Dave off. Ian? Ian? Who's, who's Ian? Oh, he owns the, the art shop. He's the one that sells these for me. And he takes his commission. Dave was just abs <laughs> absolutely flummoxed. He didn't know what to say. All his quips about her being useless had gone. Talk about wipe the smile off someone's face. It really was fantastic to witness. Dave carried on flicking through this little book. And he said, well, what sort of commission does this Ian chap take then? 90%. And she said, no, 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 it was when we started, it was 50%. Ha, huh, 50%, oh, stupid woman, you're no good at business. Why do you leave the business to me? He went on like this. And this isn't verbatim, obviously, but it gives you an idea of how rude he was to his wife. Why don't you leave the business to me? I'm the one that knows how to run a business. Look at the money I've earned. You're better off staying at home at the kitchen sink doing housework. You're just a little housewife. All this stuff, of course, we were all embarrassed for her. I mean, it was just awful. The way he was uh, treating her. I don't know why she didn't just walk out, go home. He carried on flicking through the book. What's this one? What's this one? What's that? 200? 200 for that? And you only get half of it? Oh, you're useless. She said, no. No, I negotiated with Ian once my painting started to sell. He now has 10%. And he agreed to that. Dave butted in. He agreed to that. She said, well, he had no choice. I told him I'd take my business elsewhere. 
Of course, we were all sort of, yeah, yeah, go, Alison, go. Terrific. What a woman. This was the worm turning. I loved it. And then <laughs> Alison dropped the bombshell. She said, I'm off to London on Tuesday. London? Dave scowled at her. London? What do you mean you're going to London? I'm going to an art gallery with some of my paintings. Art gallery? What are you talking about? And she explained that she'd been in touch with this gallery and they, they knew of her work, apparently, from this Ian chap. And she was going up to London and she was staying there two nights. That way she had one whole day there. Two nights? Dave was going, two nights? What do you mean? Two, what am I going to do about my dinner? Who's going to make my dinner when I get in from work? He started on about that. What about the housework? What about the cooking? You can't just clear off to London. You're a housewife. She said, well, I am clearing off to London, Dave. Because, again, we were loving this. We were looking at each other and grinning. And well, someone said, oh, I'll get another round of drinks. And it was Trish that said, <laughs> she said, this is better than EastEnders. Of course, everyone's roaring with laughter, except Dave. He was actually going red. He was fuming. <laughs> this really, I, I know I keep saying it, but it was fantastic to witness this whole thing. As time went by, Alison did very well. She was getting commissions. She was selling her paintings in this London art gallery. She was always nipping up to London. In fact, she employed a, a lady to come in two, was it two or three days a week to do the housework, the washing, the cooking, or stuff like this. She was earning that much money, she could easily afford that. Now, Alison, this is the funny thing, really. She was the worm that turned. But Dave, the way I've always looked at it is Dave was the worm that turned because he was a worm. That's a good name for him. He was a cad. Do you remember that? That's an old term, isn't it? A cad. He was a worm. He was awful to her. But he turned as time passed and Alison was doing extremely well, getting more and more commissions, more and more money. He turned into a very loving husband. He changed completely. Whenever we saw them, he was singing her praises. Oh, Alison has just done this. Alison's done that. Alison sold this one. Oh, she's an extremely good painter. He was the worm, really, that turned. It was amazing. So that's it. That's the story about the worm that turned. There must be many people, not only women, not only wives, but husbands that are put down. I do know of one or two, actually, husbands that uh, are under the thumb. There's another expression. <laughs> That's an old one as well. Under the thumb. Have to do as they're told. Have you done the... Uh, no, dear. We'll do it now. Yes, dear. <laughs> oh, happy days. Got another little tale here. This isn't about a worm turning. This is about running a business. Now, Dave thought that Alison had no idea about business. You know, yes, she's a good painter, but no idea about business. Well, she proved him wrong. She was not only a brilliant painter, but a brilliant businesswoman as well. I knew a chap. This is quite interesting, actually. He was an entrepreneur. This is back in the 70s, I think. Yeah, 70s. He wanted to start his own business. Now, he wasn't good with his hands. He couldn't do bricklaying or building, DIY carpentry he couldn't do anything with his hands all his skills were in his head okay entrepreneur and he wanted to open a business that would make him some money and we were all chatting one evening in the pub yeah where else in the pub of course and he said i know i'm going to start an electrical business electrician rewiring people's houses and of course we're we're all saying to him, yeah but you, you don't know anything about it malcolm his name was malcolm you don't know anything about it 
how can you be an electrician? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He said, no, I'm not going to do the work. I'll employ someone else to do the work. Now, it's a little bit of a long story, this one. So I'll try and sort of keep it short. He put adverts in the local paper, electrical work, house rewires, no job too small, all this sort of thing, and his phone number. And within a, a few hours of the advert coming out, he got a phone call. He was telling us this a couple of weeks later in the pub. And a chap wanted his house rewired. So what he did, he had no idea of prices. Before he went to this chap's house, he went and found out the price of cable, light sockets, light switches, power points, did all that, wrote it all down, went round to this chap's house. <laughs> and they went all round, I want this here, I want two power points there, I want wall lights there, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Malcolm said, right, I'll get back to you. So what he, did, <laughs> what he did, he got onto some firm and said, can you come and give me a quote? Uh, I want my house rewired. <laughs> okay, so this chap came round, right, how many PowerPoint? This was at Malcolm's house, and he, he gave him a quote, an estimate. So Malcolm got back to his customer and he said what it was going to cost. And the chap said, yep, I'll have that done. Here's the thing. Malcolm wasn't an electrician, so who's going to rewire this chap's house? He'd accepted the, the price and he now wanted the job done. <laughs> Who was going to do it? Malcolm, being a crafty devil, found an advert in the paper for an electrician. This chap was self-employed, worked on his own, and Malcolm phoned him. Now, Malcolm, apparently, he told us all this. He lied to this chap. He said, I employ several electricians. I'm looking for a new chap. You know, how are you doing? Would you like to come and work for me? And this chap said, well, yes, I'm not doing too well. It's obviously a lot more involved than this, but he wasn't doing too well self-employed on his own. So Malcolm said, right, OK, there's your first job. Go and rewire that house, <laughs> which he did. Now, Malcolm didn't employ him straight away. He said, what I'll do initially is you do jobs for me and I'll give you a percentage. I don't know what that was, but obviously Malcolm did very well out of it. And his, his man, I call him his man, he got a good bit out of it as well. And it worked. And eventually Malcolm took him on, P-A-Y-E, you know, as an employee, he took him on and gave him a wage, a weekly wage. I don't know what happened when the chap must have said, well, where are these other electricians that work for you? But I don't know how he got round that. But what Malcolm did, he employed other people, other electricians. And at one stage, he had six electricians working for him. He'd supplied them all with, with a van. They were all on PAYE. He could afford all this because he didn't have any business premises. He wasn't renting a shop or a unit on an industrial estate or anything. Basically, all the stock was at home. He bought from a, a local wholesaler. All the stock was in his garage. He would go and do the estimates and he'd work out exactly what a customer would want, right? You know, so many PowerPoints, so many light switches. And he'd say to one of his men, right, you're doing this job. There are the bits you need. There's the cable you need. And of course, they couldn't nick any of his stock. He was a bit cynical like that. You know, he thought people might start doing private jobs using his stock. Maybe that's not cynical. Maybe that's part of being an entrepreneur. I don't know. But he ended up with a very successful business. And some time, must have been three, four years later, he sold the business. He sold it and started another business. I lost touch with him in the end, but that's what he started to do. Building up a business and then selling the business. And he would also buy a business if it was failing, it wasn't doing very well. He'd buy it cheap, very cheap, 
and he'd build it up if he thought it was worth it, obviously. Uh, anyway, that's, that's what entrepreneurism, there's a word, is all about. It's interesting, isn't it, how you can start a business. That's what fascinated me. Start an electrical business or a plumbing business, and you know nothing about plumbing. You're not a plumber at all. And yet you can start up a business and, and build it and grow it. Fantastic. Just had an email turn up with a bit of audio attached. It's from Ed in California. He says, do you have crickets in the UK? Um, we don't actually, Ed. Uh, that's interesting, crickets. Crickets at night, he says. How about that? Thank you for that, Ed. That's rather interesting. No, we don't. We have grasshoppers. Not sure what they do. We've got grasshoppers. They do make noises, but they're not crickets. I don't know the difference, actually. I must look into that. But thank you very much for that, Ed. Crickets from California. Rather nice. Ed uh, sent me the cricket sound because he heard me playing the seagull sound. Do you remember on Wednesday's midweek message, uh, Stephen said, oh, no more seagulls. So I put some seagulls on for him. That is what prompted Ed to say, <laughs> this is going to get silly. I can feel it in my water. That's what prompted Ed to send the crickets from California. Now, there's another thing here. Jill. Hello, Jill. <laughs> Dear. Jill wakes up to this. Now, she sent me this sound. Do you know, I'm always asking people for MP3s, aren't I? Send MP3. Just say hello. Just say, hi, I'm Fred from Nottingham, whatever. No one ever does. Well, we have had a few, actually, haven't we? We've had quite a few in the past, but nothing recently. But that seagull prompted Jill because I have to wake up to the seagulls. Well, I say wake up to. I have to listen to them all night. This is what Jill has to wake up to. That's rather nice, isn't it? A country sound. Jill says, I live on a farm. I'd never have guessed, Jill. You live on a farm. Actually, you might not. You might live in town. I wanted to have chickens. I still do. I mean, that was the, the cockerel, wasn't it? The rooster. I've always wanted chickens. Trisha says, no. My neighbours, one side, they said, yeah, go on, get chickens. It'll be great. But I never have. I mean, now the rabbits have gone. We've got the garden back to... Well, a garden rather than looking like a farmyard. And it is rather nice to have the flowers and some vegetables growing. If we have chickens, it's, oh, I don't know. I think it would be a nightmare. Thank you very much, Jill, for that. I know what's going to happen now. We're going to have all, all sorts of animal noises sent to me. Well, that's fine. Go on. If you've got some animal noises, send them. MP3, WAV file, whatever. Any old audio, even on a video, send them in to me. What have I started? Now, I don't think it'll go mad. It's OK. Let's go back to the 1960s. Now, that was a time for making money. The 60s were brilliant for self-employed people, tradesmen. They were called, weren't they? Plumbers, electricians, carpenters, builders, tradesmen. They couldn't go wrong in the 60s. Little advert in the paper, ceilings painted or electrical sockets fitted, outside lights fitted, garden tap fitted. They were busy. The tradesmen were busy all the time. I was 12 in, what, 63? And just down the road, a friend of mine, his dad was a self-employed plumber. He was always busy. He just worked from home, didn't employ anyone, just, just him on his own. Garage full of plumbing bits. I remember rummaging around that lot with my friend and we got told off, leave that stuff alone. <laughs> he was a great bloke. His name was Roy and my friend was Alan. I wonder where they've gone. I'm going back a few decades now. 
But he was always busy, Alan's dad. And I remember my dad saying to him, could you have a look at, a, I don't know, a toilet system or whatever it was? And Roy said, well, I will, but he said, it won't be till the weekend. I'm just that busy. I can't fit you in till the weekend. And it was the same with all trades back then. It was a fantastic decade, the 60s, for making money. You could open a shop selling almost anything and you make a success of it. You make a real go of it. Is it the same now? There are tradesmen. I don't know. Of course, we don't have a local paper. Everyone was in the local paper. All the adverts for the electricians, the plumbers, the carpenters. You grab the local paper and get the phone number. A friend of mine did painting and decorating. This was in the 80s. Uh, yes, in the 80s. And he was always busy. Constantly busy. Artexing ceilings. That was his forte. Artexing ceilings. Putting up the plasterboard as well. Plasterboard, artex and then painting them, coving. He was just busy the whole time. Is that the same now, these days, I wonder? A lot of the tradesmen in the 60s, they would, a lot of them worked from home, of course, just them, self-employed, but others had a shop. Vacuum cleaner repairs, washing machine repairs, fridges, freezers, cookers, electrical stuff, anything like that, electrical equipment. There were shops that you could take this stuff to, to get it repaired. Radio and TV shop, for example. You take a radio there, tape recorder, record player, television, anything, any audio. And of course, later on, when videos came out, you take your video recorder to the radio and TV shop. They've all gone. So I don't know what happens these days. Well, I do. I suppose if, if things go wrong, they're thrown away, aren't they? What a shame. What a difference from the 60s. Oh, we've had that tell you a few years. It's gone wrong. Chuck it away. We'll buy a new one. And the trouble is, we're buying a new one on a credit card. How much is that one? You go in the, in the shop where they only sell huge flat screen tellies. They don't do repairs or anything like that. How much is that telly? Oh, that's on offer. It's 600. 600 pounds. Oh, I'll have that. What? 600 pounds. Stone the crows. Perhaps it should be stone the rooster now. <laughs> I love that, Jill. Thank you for that. Back then in the 60s, Shop rents were relatively cheap, comparatively cheap. You know, you could rent a shop and you're not working Monday to Friday just to pay the rent. And what you take on Saturday is, well, not profit, is to pay the other bills, electricity, insurance, wages or whatever. Back then, you perhaps work a day or two to pay the rent. Then the rest of the week when you're open and your till's filling up with cash, most of that was profit. Also, back in the 60s, to buy a shop wasn't a horrendous price. You know, you could buy a shop. I remember a friend of mine, well, a couple of friends of mine, buying shops. That way they're paying off the, the mortgage or whatever you call it. It is a mortgage you get on a shop, isn't it? Same as a house. Probably a business mortgage with a bank or something. But once you paid the bank back, that's it. You own the shop. You got the freehold. Of course, then you're not paying that out every week. Or you can rent the shop out yourself to someone or sell it sell the whole thing as a going concern, the business and the freehold shop, and some of them had a flat upstairs you could rent out. That was the way to do it. A lot of shops, small shops these days, are closing. They're, they're boarded up or they're about to close. They're having a closing down sale. And they were saying on the news the other day that the government are looking into changing some planning regulations so that people can convert shops into homes. Now, initially, that sounds a bit odd. You've got a whole row of shops downtown 
and in the middle <laughs> in the middle of the shops there's uh, one that they've bricked up the front there's a front door and a lounge window and that's someone's house or flat or whatever you'd call it I don't know what you'd call it <laughs> but that might look a bit odd mightn't it you know you've got a charity shop a coffee shop oh someone lives in that one there's their front door and lounge window and then next to that the fish and chip shop I don't know but that just shows I reckon how many shops are closing we need more housing and shops are just closing or remaining empty they're just standing there empty and doing nothing now that doesn't help anyone the owner of the shop or, or anyone of course so that is a thought isn't it turn shops into homes change of subject for a minute have you ever watched Victorian Farm this is for people in the UK Victorian Farm Edwardian Farm I think there's a wartime farm it's with Ruth Goodman and uh, oh dear who is it Alex and Peter the three of them they they live for a year on a farm I think the farms in Hampshire and they live as it was in Victorian or wartime or Edwardian times they actually live on the farm and do everything that the farmer would have to do back then it's a very interesting program the reason I mentioned it we're talking about homes we're talking about where to live and of course back then there were far far fewer people there was a mass of countryside far less in the way of houses far less in the way of people but it just got me thinking about all the shops we've got that are now empty they didn't have all the shops back then yes they had their local butcher their local greengrocer their local whatever but they didn't have the mass of shops we've got now estate agents coffee shops charity shops <laughs> all the other banks well mind you all the banks have gone from the high streets I was talking to someone the other day we were talking about this program this was a friend of mine Jimmy and Jimmy said things were so much easier back then and I said yeah they, they were easier in a lot of ways but if you look at the work they did on the farm they were up at five in the morning the farmer's wife she had to get the range the cooking range going fill it with wood get it fill it with coal get that going get hot water going get the breakfast going there was so much she had to do and if they had chickens it was her job to feed the chickens and the pigs if they had a few pigs the farmer he was out doing all sorts of things milking cows and dealing with the cattle and it was just hard work they had breakfast about eight o'clock and uh, you know, bear in mind they've been working for sort of two or three hours it was very hard physical work but as Jimmy said to me yes it was hard work but it was easier they knew their job they were used to physical work they built up their muscles you know they were used to it it was just a, a day in the life for them whereas when we look back we'd think goodness me without a tractor a horse or horses pulling a plow that was dreadful really hard work but that was their way of life they didn't have the school run they didn't have the school bus the packed lunches for the kids they didn't have all the traffic to contend with the farmer's wife had to do the washing of course and for the washing she needed plenty of hot water that had to be heated by the range she then pour it into a tub and she had to do the washing by hand in this tub and then it had to be wrung out you know the old mangles that they used to have and then it has to be hung on the line this Ruth Goodman you know when she's in the kitchen there she was on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor 
because when you're on a farm, people walking in and out, you're going to get not only mud, but as she said, animal dung is walked in and out of the kitchen. <laughs> Lovely. So all that has to be done. There was just so much work, like 24 hours a day, basically. Well, apart from a few hours sleep, it was just all day, every day. This is what this friend of mine was really getting to the point of issues and mental problems, mental illness and all the stuff that we seem to have these days. He reckons there was none of that. I don't know, to be honest. I look back to my school days. OK, it wasn't Victorian times. It was the 50s. I don't remember other children having anxiety issues, mental issues and all the issues they seem to have these days. Had the children lived on a farm back in the Victorian times, I don't suppose they would have gone to school. I think, what was it, the, the Minister of Education or, or someone in the government at some stage said, look, we can't have all the kids just growing up working on farms. They're growing up, they can't read and write. They've got to go to school. And the farmers said, well, hang on a minute, we need children to help with all the work. And I believe, it, if I remember the programme correctly, it started off, the kids had to do a bit in the morning at school, then they were free to go and work on the farm, or the other way around. They had a bit of schooling in the afternoon. And eventually, only when they got into the 20th century, they had to go to school all day. And then, of course, come home and then start working on the farm, or even work on the farm before they went to school. Now, did they have all these anxiety problems then? Did they have the issues that they have nowadays, the youngsters? I don't know. For the adults on the farm... The issues or worries, if you like, the problems, the anxiety was, is it going to rain? We've got to get the crop in. Is it going to rain and ruin this year's crop? They built a, a haystack thing for the feed for the cattle for the winter, the, this hay, and they put a thatched straw roof on it. And the worry was, would the damp get in? Would the rain get into that, ruin the entire winter's feed for the cows? So they did have worries. As I said, very interesting programme. They had worries, but different worries. I mean, we don't have to worry about feeding the cows in the winter. I don't know about farmers these days. Do they have haystacks and do they have, I don't know, feed put by in barns for the cows? I don't know what they do. But of course, it's all mechanised now, isn't it? Everything is mechanised. But it's interesting looking back, especially when people moan about today. Oh, this isn't right. That's not right. Oh, the TV doesn't work now. Problems with the phone. Oh, now the internet's gone down. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, they've taken my programme off to put the football on or the tennis. Oh, now I can't watch my programme. All these problems today. Oh, the car needs an MOT. I need more petrol for the car. Look at the price of petrol. The roads are all jammed. You can't park anywhere. I go on about that, don't I? You know, the cars on the roads, there's nowhere to park. Gridlocked. You can't drive anywhere. It's hopeless. <laughs> so we have all these extra problems. I don't know. It's interesting. What do you think about that? Raise rants at protonmail.com. Yes, email me and tell me what you think about that. Do you have issues? I don't think I have issues. My issues are <laughs> the shed roof was leaking. Well, I fixed that. <laughs> oh, the computer. Will it work? awake in bed at three o'clock in the morning, looking out of the window at the stars, as I said uh, in the midweek message. Will the computer work? What if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't work? Back then, they didn't have <laughs> they didn't have computers and mobile phones and iPads and iPods and 
eye lines and eyeliner and I don't know, all these different things. It's funny, isn't it? Eyeliner? What am I talking about? I think to sum it up, really, life back then was a lot... Well, it was simple, wasn't it? Life was simple, but very hard work. These days, all the very hard work has been taken away and that leaves life very complicated. <laughs> I don't know why it's so complicated. Sadly, as they were saying in one of the episodes on this program, a lot of the crafts have gone. There was a chap making lobster pots. He made fishing nets, but these lobster pots were made out of wood, like, uh, what is it, wattling or something, birch or whatever they use. And he sat there on the beach making these lobster pots or his sort of hut on the beach. And there was the blacksmith. Every village, every town, every village had a blacksmith for making the horseshoes. And the farrier, of course, that did the, the horses. And the blacksmith made all the tools for the farmer. The bits and pieces for the plough, you know, the blade thing, whatever it's called. He made those. He made all the tools for the farmer. He sharpened tools for the farmers to use. There were a lot of crafts back then that now don't exist. They've gone. Do we have blacksmiths? Do we need blacksmiths anymore? I know people still ride horses and there are still farriers, horseshoes and all that. But... Do we have all the other skills anymore? Do we have a blacksmith? There used to be a blacksmith here in my town when I was a kid. I remember it. I remember going in and watching. <laughs> I think he told me to push off. But it was interesting to watch him. And so many of these things have gone now. Everything is automated. Everything is done by machine. You don't need all these people anymore. So why isn't it the case that we're all relaxed now? Everything is done for us. Why aren't we relaxed and enjoying life more now that we don't have to do all this work. You would think, wouldn't you, that now everything is done by machine. A friend of mine works in a metal workshop and all the lathes that he used to do, they're all now automatic. You have to set the computer to operate the lathes. What is it? Computer? Computer something or other drawings and old oh, CAD, isn't it? I don't know. He sets all the computer up and then goes and sits down and has a cup of coffee and watches it do the work. He has to sit there and watch it, he said, because sometimes it might go wrong. But he doesn't have to do all that work anymore. So why aren't we enjoying life? Why are we not free? Why do we have so little time these days? Oh, I've got time for this. I haven't got time for that. I've got to do this and do that. I remember on the programme called Tomorrow's World, I think that was back in the 60s, on that programme, it was all about the future. They were saying, oh, one day, you know, people won't have to work. They won't have to work uh, six days, seven days a week. This will happen and that will happen. We'll have much more time for recreational things and relaxation. Well, it's gone the other way, <laughs> as far as I can see. It's gone from hard physical work to hard mental work, mental stuff that drives people around the bend. And, and of course, back in the old days... You had to pay to see the doctor. There weren't the drugs that we've got now. They didn't have all these skilled surgeons that we've got now, so people died. So why aren't we now living the life of Riley? Who was Riley, anyway? <laughs> I had a Riley car once, a Riley 1.5. Lovely car, that was. Anyway, that's nothing to do with Riley, whoever he was. I don't suppose I would have been any good on a Victorian farm. I'm, I'm too fussy with my food. Well, I'm not eating that. Ugh. Oh, what's that? I'm not eating that. What? I'm not having that. <laughs> I haven't got any proper food. 
<laughs> dear. And I'd have been worn out. If I got up at five, started work at six, didn't have breakfast till eight, I think by the time breakfast came round, I'd be absolutely knackered. I'd have to go to sleep. <laughs> Imagine that. What are you doing? I'm just having a kip. Well, why? It's only eight o'clock. Yeah, I know what well, I've been up since five, slaving in the milking parlour. <laughs> so what do you think about that? Do you think I'm right when I say back then we had all the, the physical things to worry about, the hard work, whereas now that has gone, it's replaced with kind of mental hard work. Is that right? That's probably not the best way of putting it, but you see what I mean. Have an email from Kate, which is quite apt. That's a good word, isn't it? Apt. Uh, Kate says, what do people think about leaving school and going straight out to work or going into an apprenticeship or going to university? I know what I think, Kate, because I left school at 14, went to work at 16, and I did a five-year apprenticeship when I was at work. Her son was always bullied at school. They're, they've got a funny surname. She hasn't said what it is, but they've got a strange or unusual surname. And he was picked on because of that. He's shy, he's sensitive, he's got um, some anxiety problems, as she's put it. Now, as I say, lead, this leads on nicely from what I was saying before. And she's wondering what would be best for him. He doesn't like the idea. <laughs> he doesn't like the idea of going to work. That made me laugh, Kate, your comment there, um, which I can't read out. There's a lot of things these days I can't read out. Why are people rude? Or oh, innuendos, isn't it? He doesn't want to go to work. He doesn't want to go to university. Doesn't want to do an apprenticeship because that's going to work. What do people think would be best for him? Well, I don't know. I've never been to university, Kate, so I can't comment on that. For me, it would have been a waste of time. You know, all this uh, mucking about in the local pub and the campus and just sort of generally not bothering to do anything, just have a good time. And there's, there's the, what is it they call it, the gap year? I think in the gap year, I would have just sort of hung around all day waiting to go to the pub or clubbing at night. So that wouldn't have done me much good. And also, I'm not, I don't think I would have been academically good enough. Now, they're talking about this, aren't they, in the news at the moment. Some of the university degrees, like, uh, i just make one up, you know, uh, you can get a university degree in uh, bus spotting or train spotting. Absolute waste of time. Perfume sampling and stuff like this. I mean, I've just made those up. But there are some really silly ones around. So what do you think about that, everyone? What do you reckon is good? University, apprenticeship, or just don't go to work at all? Here's the thing. I was reading some... Have I told you this? I can't remember. I was reading something online the other day. This chap was in a, a bar somewhere, and there were a group of people not too far from him. And one of the girls uh, was chatting, and she said, well, I can't go to work. I'm only 26. I'm too young to go to work. And he said yeah, he was stunned, absolutely stunned, only 26. From what she was saying, she'd been to college and been to university and had a, a gap year or a gap few years and then generally done nothing and obviously lived at home with mum and dad. And too young, I, I can't go to work, I'm too young, stone the crows, go to work at 26. <laughs> Whereas I went to work at 15. A lot of people in the workshop where I was, they started at 16. A lot of the young apprentices came in there at 16. I just can't imagine hanging around 
doing college and doing university and having years off and backpacking around some country or other and not earning any money. This was the, the thing. Here's the thing. When I went to work, I'll never forget my first week's wage packet. You know, it wasn't much. It was um, £2.10, shillings, which is £2.50, isn't it? £2.50. For the, and it's six days, six whole days. <laughs> I got £2.50. But that was enough to go over the pub. That was enough to go out a couple of evenings, things like that, enough to give my mum some money. I can't imagine being at college or university and just not having any money coming in at all. This thing on the telly they were talking about, they were saying about scrapping some of these silly university degrees, some of the silly courses. Now, my sister-in-law, I will interview her one of these days. She was a nurse. She's retired now. And she did her nursing, not at university as they do now, but actually in the hospital, in a teaching hospital, on the wards, hands-on, you know? And I think that's the way it should be done. And she agreed. Well, in fact, we were talking about this the other day. We both agreed that that was good. And as I pointed out, how about both? A little bit of university and a little bit in the teaching hospital. So you've got, I don't know, the theory and the practice or whatever. I really don't think you need to spend years and years at university doing some course, unless it is something obviously like, I don't know, if you're doing a law degree, or whatever, you know, some of the, what do they call them? Academic type stuff. Stuff what I never done because I, I was thick and stuff like that. No, I mean, <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? I enjoyed my time as an apprentice. I didn't really like the day release uh, technical college business and one evening a week. That was a waste of time. I learned more from the old boys in the workshop. But uh, as I said, I would have been hopeless at university. I'd have been chasing the girls, mucking around, going to the pub. Actually, thinking about it, I did that anyway when I was at work. Well, not while I was at work, but after work, weekends, chasing girls, mucking around, going to the pub, going clubbing. So I had the best of both worlds. I was earning money. I was learning a trade and having fun. <laughs> and they were the best years Back then, the best years you could ever have. I used to look forward to Monday morning, yeah, back in the workshop with the lads, building pirate radio transmitters. Oh, no, mending televisions first, fixing TVs, radios, tape recorders, record players, get that done, and then build transmitters <laughs> with all the lads' pirate radio transmitters and bits and pieces, building a studio at home or in the shed. Oh, I'm reminiscing now. That was absolutely brilliant pirate radio happy days indeed so kate to go back to your dilemma i don't know about your your lad what what to do if he's ang anxious and how about working on a farm there you go how about working on a farm out in the fresh air i don't know about the winter in the snow but out in the fresh air are there any farms near you or are you in the middle of a, a city well even so you go out to a farm trisha's uncle he uh, when he left school, he went to work on a farm. I think he did a, a college thing, horticulture or whatever it was. He didn't go to university. I don't think they had university back then. And he loved it. And he spent his life on a farm. Absolutely loved it. So, Kate, you know, put, put that to your son. See what he says about that. I think possibly farm work would have suited me because uh, I love the countryside. 
working outside all the time. Hard work, yes, of course, and probably not a, a lot of money when you first start, but uh, a lovely job. That would be quite a nice way to earn a living, and I wouldn't imagine a lot of pressure. Of course, when I left school, it was the 60s. So, yeah, we had tractors, obviously, combine harvesters. They didn't have all that machinery in the old days. So a lot of the physical work was taken over by machinery in the 60s. So it probably would have suited me. I don't know. It's now Saturday and we've got lovely weather, still a bit drafty out there. Lovely sunshine, which is hot. Excellent. Just going back to Dave and Alison for a minute, the worm that turned. I said that uh, Alison had a car. They both had cars. Dave bought her a car before she could drive. And he did that. We reckoned, yeah, we were talking about it once. And we reckoned that Dave did that deliberately. There, I've got a car. Now pass your test, thinking that she wouldn't. She did pass her test first time. And that annoyed Dave. Everything annoyed Dave until he realised that his wife was a highly talented young lady. Goats. Have you got a goat? I've always wanted a goat. I was talking about chickens earlier, wasn't I? I've always wanted a goat. Apparently they're smelly. But I do love goats. I really do. I don't know why. I just like a goat in the back garden. But I think he'd probably eat all the flowers, eat all the grass, eat all the shrubs. <laughs> I don't think we'd have much of a garden left, really. But I would like chickens. One final thing before I leave you in peace. Hello, Ray, my namesake. Just had an email from you. Ray says, have you ever done jury service? I haven't, Ray. No, I haven't. That's an experience I think I'm too old for now, aren't I? Something I've never experienced. However, I did once have a letter and it said, you have been chosen for jury service, blah, blah, blah. So-and-so date at uh, whichever court and you've got to do this and do that. I was self-employed at the time. I was very busy. Well, most of my life I've been self-employed. I was very busy and I was just thinking, I can't do this. I can't do jury service. Well, you have to. You can't just say, no, I'm not doing it. Go away. I mean, unless you're in hospital or something, then obviously you can't. So I rang, I think it was in Chichester. If I remember rightly, Chichester, I rang there and I said, look, I've, I've been chosen for jury service and I really can't do it. I'm going on like this. And the chap said, hang on, hang on, hang on. Give me your details. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. What does blah, blah, blah mean? Just more rubbish, I suppose. <laughs> and he came back on the phone and he said, you're not down for jury service. I said, well, I've had this letter. Ah, he said, yep, there are a few letters going around at the moment. He said, it's a hoax. You're definitely not down for jury service. I don't know who was doing it. It was someone locally because uh, I heard that one or two other people had had these hoax letters. It's awful doing something like that. It worries people. It really does. It worried me because I knew that I couldn't get out of it. I'm self-employed. I've got work lined up. I've got thinkers lined up. And to just go away for what could be several weeks, every day, all day, just not earning any money, it would have been a disaster. Anyway, never did find out who sent the letter. It's a shame because I, I think, uh, yes, anyway, moving on. But that's not a nice trick to play, is it, on anyone? Coming up to an hour now, so I will leave you in peace. I threatened to leave you in peace and I will. I will see you on Wednesday with the midweek message. This is a new microphone, so apologies for any strange clicks or changes in volume or whatever. I've got to get my head round this. I must get to grips with this audio editing program and 
all the other bits and pieces I've now got. I'm sure it will all be fantastic once I've worked everything out. Look after yourselves. See you Wednesday. Bye-bye for now.